When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Copyright Podcast with your hosts Nick Moran and Jay Pearson. It's the debut episode of From the Gantry, and we are absolutely delighted to welcome ITV's senior football commentator and the voice of Liverpool's Champions League memories. It is the one and only Clive Tilsley. Clive, you have no idea how excited we are to have you on the show, and thank you for joining us today. Yeah, less of the senior, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was my dad who was commentating in Istanbul, you know. It wasn't me. I'm only 23. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, well, obviously, mate, I'm sure he's excited as we are with the, the fact that the football's returning. Um, and obviously, it's been a, a very interesting week in terms of fixtures being announced and times and stuff. Uh, but before we get right right into it, I just want to, how much has your role changed since what's been going on? Um, now, and now that we're going to be playing games behind closed doors, uh, do you know what you're going to be doing when the fixtures return? Are you remote working? Are you attending the stadiums? Do you know where, you, where you're going to be uh, a week on Saturday, Sunday? Do you know what you're doing? I've been given some guidelines. Um, my Premier League uh, commitments are mainly with Talk Sport. It's nice. It's been nice to get back on the radio. You you might have um, one or two viewers who are just about old enough to remember me on Radio City. Um, I uh, I will also be doing um, a couple of the Am- the Amazon games, the Amazon Prime games. Brilliant. Um, uh, England is the ITV. Uh, contract. Um, England is scheduled to play again in September. Um, I, uh, Gareth's a, a friend as well as a working colleague, um, and at this moment he's not absolutely certain that um, internationals will be fitted into the schedule for the start of next season, which clearly isn't very far away. Mm-hmm. Um, I might have. Um, uh, can I can I mention the word Champions League? <laughs> yeah, um, I might have um, a, ch- a Champions League quarter final for um, for what they call World Feed, which is if, if you were watching in Dubai or Australia yeah. or Canada or somewhere. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, a week on Saturday. I'll be on the uh, the old Steam Wireless Talk Sport. Um, West Ham United, who um, need to sort of uh, hit the ground running at Absolutely. home. Towards. That's the five thirty mm. game a week on Saturday. Well, obviously, with football being a massive part of your life, I mean, I bet you've missed it just as much as the players. I mean, probably from a, a wage perspective as well, the fact that you can go back to work and earn a bit of money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, obviously, I, I'm, I, um, I've, I've been very aware during the course of the last um, uh, two, three months that um, uh, this has been a, a truly difficult time for a lot of people. Um, it hasn't been really for me. Um, 
Uh, I love my wife. She's my best friend. We've been holed up together. We do have a bit of garden and a little bit of sunshine as um, we've taken in. We love our golf and stuff. So we've been well, playing your, your, your YouTube year. channel's been funny. Your YouTube Two, channel's been, yeah, been really no, good. We've had a bit of fun with it, but always trying to strike the right balance. And it's nice when people say, oh, you, you know, you, you really put a smile on our face. But, uh, you know, the, the, there are a lot of people for whom um, there have been very few smiles. My, my, 25 year old uh, one of our boys is 25 who's uh, who was born at Arab Park um uh, on the Wirral and has been a Liverpool fan all his life um I've actually been in the away end with him a few times in the last two years which is quite an experience for a man of my <laughs> age particularly when people look across and say are you no 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 a lot of people say that but I'm not no <laughs> um it's great I, it, it actually sort of keeps you uh, real to a degree in so much that you know my life is is very privileged watching football and you know getting kept in for 45 minutes on a Monday night at West Ham uh, while they assemble the 300 fiercest West Ham fans outside ready for you uh, you know that that kind of um, yeah I mean it, it 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 has been an experience for me but um you know, I, I'm I'm from Bury. I grew up a United fan. Um, my dad was a United fan. I was home and away for a spell, and it was only really when I started working that 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 kind of left me because I started to support my mates. But mm. every, I think a lot of people will be aware that the time that I spent on Mersey's side, which in the end it was sort of kind of 15 years, because I, I still lived in Wirral when I um, yeah. when I moved on to Granada, uh, and and you know becoming mates with that team of the late seventies and early eighties and remaining mates with a lot of them too. They, they, you know, I was the same age as them. And um, yeah. that's an extraordinary time to be, to be covering football. So yeah, I mean, um, as I say, my, my boys are an absolute rabid um, red man. And, um, and so I suppose when he's happy, I'm happy. So of course, I'm very, <laughs> I'm happy. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have become a bit of a closet fan, I suppose, through him in the in the last uh, few years. Well, that's it. I mean, the amount of games that you you commentate on, and like you said, the friends that you've made in the game. It's it's football is a massive part of your life, and obviously, when the season starts, there's still a lot of things to be decided. I mean, we're still waiting for a certain trophy to to enter into Anfield. Hopefully, that'll happen sooner rather than later, and what what do you make about the battles that are going to pan out? I mean, we've got European football to decide, relegation to be decided, promotion from the championship. How do you see it all panning out? I don't know is the simple answer. You know, I, I, some, somebody taught me a long, long time ago um, in, in my early years in broadcasting that there's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know if you don't know. And, we, and none of us know. Uh, mm. None of us know quite how it feels. We're getting a little kind of preview through the Bundesliga I, I didn't mind the crowds the crowd noise yeah, I liked it that yeah. I heard that there were even whistles when the referee gave a dodgy decision <laughs> yeah. Whoa, who's putting those clever. in wait a minute <laughs> um but that'll be uh I mean I, I I don't know how it I don't know how it'll sound or feel I hope and, and it's easy for me to say this to to your podcast I hope Liverpool keep it going mm. I hope that it you know, I hope they don't fall over the line. Um, the the first two thirds of the season have been extraordinary. I mean, absolutely extraordinary. And if you add on, well, really, the last two and a half years, um, you know, the level of progress and improvement, um, the identity of the team, mm. I, I, 
you know, I became very aware when I arrived on Merseyside in 1977, how, how much a part of the community Everton and Liverpool are. And, mm. um, and, and, the, and, right down to the the kind of importance of having a scouser in the town you know i think it is yeah. important i think trent's massive for the for you know for the for the kind of um sense of continuity um you know and and keep keeping that connection between the the club and the fans it's very very difficult when you become a big global enterprise i was talking um I was talking to somebody about Manchester City in, in a completely different environment um, just a couple of days ago. Somebody inside football, and it, it was it was to do with marketing. Mm. And the person who was nothing to do with Manchester City made the observation: a lot of City fans wish it was still 15 years ago. <laughs> they, they kind of liked their club more then yeah. than they do now. And I think it happened with Chelsea fans. Funny enough, when mm. Abramovich took over. Um, and uh, and that's again nothing to do with the the real rivalry that's grown up now between the between Liverpool and City and the AC must got really really intense and it will get more intense I think. Yeah. Um, but it, it, Liverpool have never quite they've always managed to keep that connection that you know even through the sort of a couple of the weird ownerships that that you've seen <laughs> in, in recent years. They're, yeah. They're, you know the club have never never lost the fans in any in any yeah. shape or form, and and actually now it's easy to say now, but the suffering has kind of been worthwhile and and in a way has sort of made it better. I think you know somebody who lived on Merseyside and covered Liverpool at a time when success was expected almost routine it has been difficult for the younger generation of fans to listen to dad and grandpa and you know bloody uncle arthur going on about whatever doug leisha st john whatever era it it was Mm. and you know Klopp has just been the perfect match and he said right from the beginning we want to create our own history and they've only gone and done it and uh, and they've done it, but they've done it kind of in the character and the spirit of of what what Shanks started. And um, you know that that it is a unique football club. Of course, it is. Heisel and Hillsborough have made it unique, quite apart from anything else. Mm. But um, it it is there is a unique bond between the club and the support, and that bond has remains as strong today, I think, as it has been at at any stage in, in my lifetime, which is which is saying something, because I'm an old bugger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Clive, words that just reminisce with every Liverpool fan, and Mick, you, you, you were chatting to me the other day about the, a similar thing, wasn't you? How, how close Klopp has sort of reconnects the, the fans to the club now, and that's the I, job I, he's done. I was, in, I was in Rome for the semi-final... <laughs> I, it, that's last yeah. season, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seems like last fifteen like. years ago. <laughs> um, and there was a fantastic sh- uh, camera shot uh, when the players went down to that end at the end of the game to celebrate the semi-final victory. So many young people, I, and actually, that's kind of unusual for a, a travelling support away. You know, just from the economics point of view of, mm. of actually having the money to be able to go yeah. and watch the game. But it was so heartening to see such a young support for the team. And um, I don't quite know how that's happened. I don't know, because I guess ticketing is, a, is an issue for, a, for a, a massive game like that. You know, you'd have to be a season ticket holder, I guess, and so mm. on. 
but there were so many young faces on, on, in the Liverpool support in, in Rome for that semi-final. And I think that it's, it's a young team, you know. Yeah. It's a really young team. And people keep, it's sort of been together now for a spell. But actually, you know, Trent hasn't been in the team that long. Robbo hasn't been in the team no. that long. You know, Fabinho has, hasn't been in the team that long. And it, it has continued to sort of grow. But it, it's still knocking around an average age of 25, 26. There's another two, three years in this team. And I'm sure that you guys think, oh, Timo Werner, I'm sure he would have suited us and everything. But quite apart from the fact that I think I think Liverpool are keeping an eye on the economy of football, and I think that's right, and I think yeah. it's responsible. I'm sure there is money to spend. Uh, well, we've seen it with Virgil and Alisson. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there is money to spend, but you know, maybe, maybe it is a little foolhardy to be buying somebody at the moment for 50, 60, who in, you know, once football, once the dust settles and all of this, may actually only have the value of 25 or 30 mil or whatever, even if he's really good. Mm. Um, so it, it, interesting times. But um, I, I think I, I was disappointed when they didn't buy last summer, really was. Yeah. And I still think it was a bit of a mistake not to stock up the numbers a bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look at it. I mean, would Jones have got many games if, if, you know, if they'd stocked up in the summer, just yeah. sort of bought another Shakiri or another whatever? Um, you, you, you are now, you need to be a bloody good player to get into that Liverpool team now. And I think they're waiting and waiting and, and thinking, you know, we've got, even if Adam gets another year, then fine, you know, that's okay. That's, that, it's, it's, it's what you know, there's been a continuity. And where, what I thought was folly last summer has, has proved not to be because mm. they are going to win the league. Um, they actually, for me, played better in the second leg um, against Atletico than they had done yeah. weeks, maybe True. months, mm. maybe months, maybe since Leicester away, Yeah, um, which was, you know, first week in January, wasn't it? It, it had got mm. a bit grim just before the, Absolutely, um, yeah. the lockdown. Um, I mean, there were five so, or six league games in a row there where they didn't really play particularly well. So I hope they come back and, and find a little bit and, and and really finish it in style and win the damn thing by 20 points, yeah. Yeah, that would, that would be incredible to break all, all those records that we can still break mm. and long may it continue. Um, Clive, obviously you mentioned before about um, your career being so steeped in, in Liverpool's city history. Um, obviously you started there in 77 covering Everton and Liverpool games. I mean, from from your perspective, you know, being going from getting your, your, your big break as, as the T-boy in, in, in Nottingham to them being a, a great reporter for, for Radio City. And like you said before, being part of the Liverpool and Everton squads in the 70s and 80s must have been, you, you must have thought your dreams, all your dreams have come true at once. Yeah, I mean, I often get asked, you know, those usual questions, best goal, Bell, and, and best game, whatever. I mean, I think, in many ways, the biggest football match I've ever covered was the 1986 FA Cup final. Now, uh, just 18 months ago, I commentated 28 million people in a World Cup semi-final involving England. How can it be bigger than that? I'll tell you why. I knew everybody on the field. Yeah. Everybody on the field was a, a friend, some of them really close friends or an acquaintance of mine. And quite apart from... You know, again, some of your younger subscribers wouldn't remember the scenario in 86. But, I mean, we're talking about certainly the best two teams in England. 
we we will never know because of Heisel and what happened the year before. But probably the best two teams in Europe, I think, at the time, had been vying for the title all the way through the season, and it had all been you know settled in the last week. Liverpool had never done a double before. Mm. Um, uh, so, it, and the FA Cup final was the biggest show in town. It was bigger than the Champions League final, really, in terms of yeah. status and as an occasion. So this was just the most massive occasion, but mainly because they're, they're all my mates down there. I knew them all. I, uh, I'd, go and, I'd go to Conti and have a drink with them. And, and, and <laughs> I actually, funny enough, that night, both teams had a kind of a banquet in London. That was the tradition. Then you came back on the Sunday and, you know, the winners paraded the trophy. I actually went to the Everton banquet um, because it was kind of, I felt, you know, I hadn't scored a goal or anything in the game, so I, I didn't really feel as if I could be part of a celebration, but I could be part of a commiseration mm. because I'd be with pals who'd lost. And I'd probably, the result would have gone the other way, and it could have done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd have probably gone to, you know, to the losers' banquet. But that that was, they were incredible. I, I arrived at Merseyside in 77, and I... Um, I left to come down south actually in 92 and I joined mm. the Beavs. So I lived in, in Wirral all that time. And, you know, a lot happened between 1977 and 1992. I mean, obviously the two disasters as well as all the successes. But we're talking about, I mean, during my time at Radio City, I was, um, you know, I was called upon to cover a general election that Thatcher won. I was called upon to cover a local election which basically Derek Hatton won um <laughs> no I, I hardly recognizable as the Labour Party I'm a member of I mean it was that far left it was an extraordinary event um I was there for Shanks's death and funeral I was there when Lennon was shot I was there through the Toxteth riots um you know there were incredible years it was it did feel like Merseyside against the world at times mm. Um, and uh, it, I, I'm sure those years shaped a lot of the personality of the of the modern Merseyside. It's a different place now, you know, European money and and all the developments down on the front. The city looks fantastic, um, and I think there's a whilst whilst there's clearly an awful lot of um, uh, poverty um, in and around Merseyside, there's a more vibrant kind of yeah, a more positive feel, I think, mm. really. I think a little bit of the curled lips gone. <laughs> Finding Margaret Thatcher's <laughs> gone, so I, I can't help. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, when I go back, I'm always wary of the fact that I'm not a Merseyside, you know, I'm not, and and you know your own, and, you, and, and I, I would never try to pretend to be um, I'm not really a man come from Lancashire, really. Bury, you know, yeah. is sort of, it's it's still 1947 in Bury, you know, it, that, that's where <laughs> I'm from. I'm kind of old school Lancashire guy, but I'm certainly not a Merseysider. But I, I'm always welcome. I, a a yeah. good as Anfield, wherever I come back, I, it always feels like coming home. And that's, yeah, there's a lot of warmth on Merseyside. Um, and uh, and uh, it is. Uh, Somebody once said it's they can't, couldn't quite decide whether it's the best city in the world or the worst city in the world, but it's definitely one of the two. Well, I'm kind of leaning towards the former. <laughs> Love it. Well, when you say about the warmth and stuff, I, was, I mentioned to my father-in-law a few days ago that we were, we were going to be talking to you. And the first thing he said, he said, 
was he remembered your report uh, in Heisel, and he said it was really, really emotional. It was touching. It was. It made that much of an impression on him. How difficult was that day? Um, it, it, it was like an unlike any other day in my life. I wasn't at Hillsborough. I was at the Everton no. semi-final that day. Yeah. Um, but I became very heavily involved in the aftermath of Hillsborough. I had met two people that didn't come back. I, I, I can't say they were friends, but uh, there was the father of a friend and uh, actually a young guy who really, really wanted to be a football commentator. Uh, I know I'd shown around Radio City. So that so Hillsborough has a, a, a lasting effect on me and um, I, I can barely watch that um, drama that Jimmy met. It just, you know, oh, just breaks, know. breaks me up every time. So, yeah. Uh, but Heisel was different because I think the I think the circumstances were different. I'm afraid, um, you know. Whereas, uh, I mean, I bet I listen. That's it's only my view on what I saw and what I know. I'm not. I, 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 my opinions can always be changed by evidence. But um, you know, um, Sheffield was the slaughter of the innocents without any doubt. Um, but I. You know, I think there was a hooligan element involved with what happened in, in Brussels. Mm. I went to, c to cover the game. Um, Radio City had um, uh, a news bulletin between 6 and 6.30. And then we were coming on air with the sports show at 6.30. It was a 7.30 kickoff that night. Yeah. And um, uh, the, the news handed to me about 20, 22, 23 minutes past six, just for a little one minute, you know, taster of what's to come tonight. And that basically the wall went down during that minute that, that I, I had say, you know, this has started to happen and it's described the scenes and then the wall collapsed. And um, I, mean, I, can, I can listen, I can hear the thud in the background. You can hear it going down. And um, uh, we had um, the, uh, the Radio City reporting team then. Uh, well, see if you can remember who was my number two in, in the mid 1980s. Oh gosh, you've got me Richard there. Keys. Richard Keys. No, oh my God. Richard Keys came to Rotterdam with me. I commentated, he reported. And then we had another guy called Richard Jardine, lovely, lovely guy. Um, if you remember Tony Jardine, who was part of ITV's F1 team, it's, it's yeah, Tony's brother. Um, and R Richard was always studio bound. He was always the poor guy who never got to go to the game. So <laughs> we, we kind of alternated the two finals and he came. And he was a reporter and um, he, you know, with, with no mobile phones, with no, you know, remote sort of reporting devices of any kind. You, reporting was going, seeing, coming and then coming back to the point and telling people. And of course, television wasn't on the air until um, 7.15. Mm. Um, and uh, so we... Um, I saw Richard come back and uh, this will be now about 20 to seven, quarter to seven. And he knew what he'd seen. And we had to swap. Ian St. John was my co-com and Ian Jr., his son, was at the game. And Ian was like, he, you know, as soon as we started to realize that there'd been fatalities, he was a bit of a mess. Great, great guy, I say. Um, and I actually... Um, there was a, a wonderful guy called Phil Easton, who's sadly not with us anymore, a, a Radio City DJ, who'd done the afternoon show in the middle of Brussels, and he was around us. And he sort of took over my role for a while, and I went, because Richard couldn't go back. Mm. And there were just bodies piled up one on top of another. I'd never seen a dead body in my life. 
they're just piled up on top of it, another. And um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you know, I came back and, and, uh, and started to report that stuff, which is probably what your father-in-law heard. And um, I didn't say long before, w weirdly, um, BBC had the, the match and Wogan was on before it. And they'd obviously set up some gag between Wogan and Jimmy Hill and the handover. So it was a really lighthearted handover. And you know, they didn't have the editorial now to ditch that. No, yeah. cut that. People died. People, Thank you very much, Terry. It's the only time you've ever been shut up at this time of the night because it is some football match. Thank you. <laughs> well, indeed, it is some match with records galore hanging on the result of it. Can Liverpool, the holders, retain the European Cup? Or will Juventus win it at last? Well, after a moment of hilarity with Terry Wogan and Bruce there, I'm afraid the news is very bad from Brussels. Uh, um, we didn't know then whether they were, I mean, not that it really matters, but we didn't know whether they were British, Belgian or Italian. Um, so, but we were, we were all over it. I mean, we, you know, we, we reported everything that happened as it happened, really, because we were eyewitnesses to it. And um, I, I, did, I, I cried. I tell you when I cried um, in the car going back from what was then still Speak Airport back home um, after we'd flown back. It, it, it just the emotion didn't come out until literally I was back on Merseyside and driving home. Um, oh you kind of keep all that in. And I'm sure a lot of people who saw stuff in Sheffield would tell you the same thing. It just you just suddenly think, shit. Oh, yeah. what have I just seen? Um, yeah. So there you go. That was, um, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, and we were the we were the source of information. I tell you what happened that night. Um, a couple of guys who I got tickets for, um, who were my wife's best friend's husband and his brother, and I'd got them tickets in the stand. Yeah. And they'd seen what had happened, and they came and found me and just said, "Look, can you?" tell them we're okay we're going back to the hotel we're not staying you know whether the game's played or whatever we're not yeah. we're going back to the hotel and i actually was able to say on the radio um uh that so and so and so and so are are same. fine and i wish that could give the same message yeah. to every person listening in and i think you know back then local radio was local radio and the echo were how you you stayed in touch with your team. No, the games mm. weren't all live on TV. They didn't come on three hours before the game. That's, you know, that was the build. The build-up to the European Cup final was 15 minutes on the BBC. And the the tragedy of that of that day was obviously just etched in. It followed in the European ban, and like you said before, it was. You know, we are Liverpool fans, obviously, but. You know, Everton didn't get the chance to 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 showcase the fantastic team in Europe, and yeah. I firmly believe the team that they had, they could have gone on to win a European Cup, no doubt. Um, and it certainly would have. We we definitely would have added a couple more to our to our tally without a shadow of a doubt. But do you think do you think that changed the relationship? Do, do you think that was the end of the friendly derby? Um, I, I, there's a lot of bitterness, isn't there, Mick? Um, I think, I think it got yeah. a lot more friendly after after Hillsborough. But Mick, go on, you yeah. say then, weren't you? On, no, I, th I, th I think there is a small mi minority of Everton fans who do use it as a as a as a bat to beat you with. Sometimes, you know, when 
their backs against the wall if, if they're having a tough time. There's a small minority who will use it, but I wouldn't consider them friends because no fr- no friend would would, would use it as a means to get one get one over you. In that yeah, and like you say, Jay, I mean, Liverpool, the, the, the level of support that, that Evertonians and Everton Football Club showed Liverpool in the wake of Hillsborough, I mean, yeah. it, it was, listen, it was extraordinary from all from all parts of the football world. But I mean, it was, there was a real, there was a real bond um, mm. that day and, um, it, or, or in the, in the days, uh, the days after that. So yeah, anyway, it's just interesting, but yeah, I went to Goodison again last season, the, the, the last points Liverpool dropped last season, the nil nil game, which is a nothing sort of game on a cold day. I had a yeah. miserable, I had a full of flu. I had a rotten day. Um, <laughs> but um uh, it, there was edge there, definitely. I mean, yeah. you know, more so than I kind of really remembered it. But that's that's cool. I mean, that's football. Yeah, that's... we would have that. No problem. If we, if, yeah. if the roles reversed and we were stopping them from winning yeah. a trophy or anything like that, we'd, we'd be exactly the same. Or stopping them from relegation. I don't think that would happen. <laughs> 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 um, but obviously, uh, we'll just touch finally just on a little bit of Hillsborough um, because obviously yeah. again you were so, such a, a big part of, of your life and obviously there's a it's, it's, it's a tragic story but it's a wonderful story as well about uh, Ian Whelan with um, how you influenced him when he wanted to be a commentator and I just think from from that perspective Clive it's, it's just a fantastic little story how you encouraged that as well um, before yeah. his tragic loss yeah I mean it, it's nice from time to time you somebody will get in touch with you and and a letter that I wrote years and years ago encouraging them and they've got into the business or whatever so that's that's nice and I had fantastic mentors so I I think all broadcasters do it you, you kind of recognize this mm. the ambition in people that you had yourself once upon a time but in um about probably four or five days after the tragedy um the um the car park the old car park there outside the main stand um, became just a gathering point for the media. And um, uh, I was down there nearly every day, um, Radio City, waiting for the next announcement, the next press conference. And, of course, the in, inside the stadium, not only was this fantastic floral tribute, which everybody remembers, but actually inside the, the, the old players' lounge there, you used, go, you used to go through the main entrance, and there was a big players' lounge there on the right-hand side. It became a sponsor's lounge later on. Um, all the families started to gather there and and these young guys you know in the early mid-twenties who had absolutely no experience of of any kind of counselling I mean they were barely in real life by then you know where where they'd become you know European champions and stuff um they they sat down with these these families and it just became a communion it was almost like a religious experience and they're just people mourning together and um we got a i got got a message came out from a steward as we stood there and saying clive kenny wants to see you and of course kenny's a friend you know again similar age and stuff um but he was the manager and i thought oh no i've done something wrong here i must have said something (laughs) something." so i walked into the, the reception area there and he came out and um, he just looked totally ashen. And he said, um, Ian Whelan. And I said, well, he said, the parents want to see you. And I said, what, Kenny, sorry. He said, Ian, he said, you showed him around Radio City. I said, ah, 
He said, yeah. He said, yeah. I, I, I you know, I, I, it just, I hadn't put two and two together when I, I guess I seen the name. So I went in and saw Wilf and Doris and Kerry is his sister. And they wanted to see me, you know, they, they, whereas players, but members of family were going and asking for their favorite player. They wanted to sit down and talk to me. And, um, I mean, uh, his nickname was Ronnie, obviously, because Ronnie was his favourite player and stuff. And mm -hmm. I, I brought Ronnie and Elaine over to meet the family. And, um, yeah, I went in and met the Whelan several days after that. And then, I mean, again, uh, I, was in, I was in that same lounge maybe a day or so later. And suddenly, uh, I used to go to a nightclub in Birkenhead called Rupert's. And um, pro proper good dancing club, you know, no, nothing posh. And, and um, <laughs> it wasn't like there was another club in Birkenhead called Atmosphere, which was a bit more sort of like the Conti. But uh, this is a proper kind of, it was almost like a sort of grown up youth club. And um, uh, Karen Chapman was just suddenly there in the lounge. I said, what are you doing here? <laughs> Stupid question, obviously. My dad, God, you know, Ray Chapman. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, I think everybody knew somebody. I think yeah. everybody on Merseyside knew somebody who hadn't come home. And, um, and as I mean, another story, which I don't, you know, I don't mind admitting to because I was a sales of a part that day. And, um, I was listening to everything on the way back and, um, I just thought, yeah, they've done it again. It's Heisel again. I, mm. I, I mean, it's a terrible thing to admit to, but I thought, I guess what Cloughy thought and what I'm, for God's sake, probably the sun thought. Um, and I got back and my boss at Radio City at the time was one of my best mates. And um, he'd left a message for me to phone and I had to go in next morning at seven o'clock and host the phone in at eight. And I just told him, no, nah. I said, I'm not coming. I'm sorry. He says, you, you got the wrong guy. I said, I've, I've seen this story once before. I'll say all the wrong things. I wasn't yeah. there. You want somebody else. And he said, no, you're coming in. And, um, I walked through the doors of the old Radio City reception in Stanley Street at about, I don't know, half past seven. And there, were, there was a guy, a stranger, I can see his face now, never, never seen him before or since. And he's, he had his ticket, his unperforated ticket. And he said, Clive, they just opened the doors. Uh, and honestly, the Taylor report was written half an hour into that phone-in. Uh, everything that we now know Everything, you know, I'd got completely wrong. Um, and a lot of people, others, you know, uh, mm. I, you know, I was, everything was told in that first half hour that all the stories were the same. Everybody who'd been there um, was telling the same story. And um, why, forgive my French, why the fuck it took 20 years for yeah, anybody exactly. to believe Fox, that story? I don't, I mean, in fairness, Lord Taylor kind of believed the story, uh, you know, he kind of, I mean, he, you know, he, he kind of got it, but um, on and on and on it had to go until, um, it's not, I, I don't even think of it as justice, I'm afraid, it's, it's yeah. just, there's no justice, um, but um, uh, honestly, it, it, that, that morning just, and I, I think it changed the way I think about things. I mean, we all we all jump to conclusions about stuff, of course. yeah, based on, on experience it. and stuff. Um, but I don't jump quite as readily as I did as, as since uh, since nineteen eighty nine. That that changed. That that I was so wrong, yeah. so so wrong.
And Clive, you're going to be a bunch of thousands of people who were wrong. And it's, yeah, well, whatever. That's not. Yeah. It's like you said, the experience that you had previously. It's, yeah. But this it outweighs so much more of what you, what you did for 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 Ian's family and for Ian and. Yeah, and, I was. That know. was. Yeah, that was kind of the easy bit, really. And um, stayed in touch with them. Lovely people. They're not. They're kind of midlanks, you know. Sort of. Um, they live Warrington. Uh, I mean, it's uh, the the. Kenny and Marina were just extraordinary, absolutely mm. extraordinary in uh, in the wake, and it did for him really. I think I think it wore him out. Um, yeah, it did. And uh, yeah, one of them. <laughs> absolutely. Well, let's yeah. let, let's fast forward then ten years, um, and obviously you're now the the ITV senior football uh, commentator. Um, and let's face it, ninety eight, ninety nine was definitely the the season of Clive, shall we say? Um, I don't want to talk too much about that night in Barcelona, but I'm going to have to. Um, but from a, a moment in time, from a perspective of, and the words you uttered that night have gone down in football history. So it doesn't matter who you support, but when you hear and Solskjaer has won it and Manchester United have reached the promised land, everyone knows who said those words. And you, you've associated with millions of, of the best memories for a lot of people. Beckham into Sheringham and Solskjaer! Yeah, I mean, um, uh, two things really about that night. One, that it was it was a huge night for me. It was my f- it was the last game of my first year as ITV senior commentator. Again, as some of some of your viewers will remember Brian Moore, the late great yeah, Brian Moore, legend. who I, I succeeded him. after the '98 World Cup. So you know, if if I'd screwed up those three minutes, then I, we wouldn't be having this conversation now. So, so it was a big night for me, uh, and there's yeah. 20 million people watching. And and then the other thing that I would reflect on, particularly to your audience, is that kind of walking back, we we were walking distance, like a 20-minute walk back to the hotel, but it, it, it was close enough to the new camp to walk back. Mm. And um, I walked back uh, with Big Ron and a couple of other uh, producers and um, I, d- I just wasn't sure in my mind whether I overplayed it because in Brian's day in 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 the seventies and eighties I think you know I think when Liverpool won the European Cup in seventy seven and Villa and Forest I think there was still a bit of our boys about you know I think mm. I think generally fans of English teams thought yeah good you know it but I, I think by ninety nine that had gone. And I yeah. think the ABUs and the ABLs were very much sort of to the fore. And I just wondered, kind of walking back, what, my, how my commentary had gone down in Moss Side <laughs> and Merseyside and Leeds and the East End of London. You know, Manchester United have reached the promised land. Oh, great. Um, and I actually turned on Sky News. We had Sky News in the hotel. And I turned it on in the room just before I, I sort of took the suit off and went down to take Rioja with the rest of our team and um, there, there was a kind of feeling almost of a national celebration you know it'd been 15 years since Liverpool had lifted the, the since the European Cup had come back to England mm. it was the Germans and we yeah. and not just the Germans but Kahn and Matthias and Effenberg these guys had tortured English football yeah um, and we'd never really seen uh, them crumble like that in, in, in the way that they did and I think United had kind of done it their way you know their kind of crazy way and I I reflect and maybe I've got this horribly wrong that for about 20 minutes that night 
even the most hardened Liverpool fan, City fan, Leeds fan thought, mm, go on then. Yeah, on you go, fair play. You've done it your way. You'll get the great pelters when you come to our place next season. <laughs> yeah. Don't you worry. But, you know, fair play to you, on you go. And, Absolutely. I, and I think it, I probably, in that sense, did get it right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so. Mick, you, we had this conversation, didn't we, over the weekend that it's, it's, it's etched in history, isn't it, Mick? Yeah, and I think it's like Clive just said, it, it's, it's one of them things where. It, it bypasses your support. I think it's like Istanbul in a way, like that that night as well. I think most rival fans would be like, yeah, fair play. Liverpool have done it and done it the typical Liverpool fashion, going down three three goals to nil and having to fight their way back and going to penalties. And you just have to, moments like that in football, you just have to, even if you're not a fan of Liverpool or whatever the team is involved, you have to stand back and just applaud and say, fair play, that's, that's just a magic moment that you have to soak in. Definitely, mate. I think with um, I remember being 16 years of age watching Michael Owen win us the FA Cup. Um, you know, with two I did fans. That game, yeah. You did, well, that's the thing. I always remember he has won the cup for Liverpool all by himself. That's the line that I always remember you saying. And again, was what they were lucky that, that day. They were oh. a bit lucky that oh, yeah. day. Stefan Onshow handled it oh. 15 times, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when we spoke to Sander Vesterveld and Marcus Babel about it, Sander Vesterveld made some jokes about having two goalkeepers that day. And yeah, we, we rolled our luck at times, but again, an, another unprecedented achievement yeah, for us. So they played better against Milan in 2007 than they did in 2005. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's, football's crazy like that, really. It's, mm. uh, and, and, and weirdly, I, I mean, you probably wouldn't, appreciate me drawing parallels between the, the two wins, but there was a kind of sense of fate about what Manchester United did in, in 99. I think I said name on the trophy when Sheringham yeah. equalised. And I yeah. think there was a similar sense of fate in 05 because it wasn't just Stevie's goal against Olympiacos, it was the two before it. You know, they needed mm. three goals that, and two yeah. of them came in the last 10 minutes. Mella scored in the last 10 minutes too. So yeah. they were nearly out of the competition in December. Mm-hmm. Um, they were struggling to make any impact in the league. Um, the, there was that, you know, amazing night where, you know, for some reason, Sam Herbius, who's not even in the, the league <laughs> team, scores a left-footed volley. Yeah. And then Luis Garcia smacks one in. And, and suddenly you're beating one of the best teams in Europe 2-0. Uh, you get through that. And then there's the ghost goal and everything that, that you know, Mourinho still rattles on about to this day. <laughs> Uh, and then the final, I mean, it, it. the more you read and hear about that night, it is just the most improbable victory. You know, I watched the whole game back in preparation for the 07 final. And in your mind, you've kind of got that, oh, they scored those three goals in six minutes. And then, you know, they went, they didn't go on from there at all. No, <laughs> Milan still no. totally dominated in, yeah. in extra time. And, um, and all that stuff about well, Rafa's great Churchillian words at half time, it didn't happen, did it? He, it, you know, he was bringing Traore off. And yeah, then, he was. Yeah. Then threw a wobbler, and then he, he <laughs> gives a team talk with 10 counters on the board and another one with 12. And Didi's gone out to warm up. He's no idea who's coming out behind him. It just happened. It's It yeah. was, to, to quote from 99, football bloody hell, don't ask me. I've no idea how that happened. But yeah. but the, I mean the the unkind thing I would say about 05 is that 
it, I don't know how many medals were struck, probably about 20 or something like that. I think that uh, about five Liverpool sh players should have been given four each and the rest should have been sent home. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think I can remember a performance, a winning performance, where five or six guys just carried the rest of the team. There were some shocking performances that night yeah, from people who are now European champions. But Stevie, wow, we played in three different positions. He was the best right back in the world for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, he was, wasn't he? he Caro was. was just unbelievable. Um, I was joking with him. Uh, we we just done the published the charts and everything, and I sent yeah. my commentary chart for the night, and I sent him one. I said, "Boy, you got your knees dirty that night." Um, <laughs> well, that's really... the thing. I mean, we're looking at your commentary charts, and you know they they're heavily detailed in what you go through and. You're preparing the Istanbul game. You're thinking, right? I'll say this. I'll, I'll write this down, and you've got in your mind that this is Milan. This one of the greatest European teams of our of our time against Liverpool, who, were, quite frankly, God knows how we managed to get through to that final given the squad that we had. <laughs> and you're thinking this is going to be a mismatch. And the first half does say that, but then you might as well just go on. Do you know what? Fuck it. I'll rip it up. Doesn't even matter. Yeah. Football. Forget it. <laughs> the third. The third goal was one of the most beautiful goals I've ever seen in my life. I mean, Kaka's turn and pass and Crespo's finish. I'm interviewing Hernan Crespo this afternoon, which is for UNICEF. Um, but, um, and it, you know, that's the last act. So not only you've got 15 minutes to think it's 3-0, you've got 15 minutes to think, wow, how good are they, you know? Yeah. Um, As you I describe did, it, I can hear your commentary in my mind. As you describe it, I can hear it because I've watched it that many times. I, can hear <laughs> I, it. I said, what a goal that is. Yeah, what a yeah, goal that yeah. is. Something like that, by the it way. Is. And I, I did spend part of half time. I mean, obviously, I, you prepare all kinds of stuff for a European Cup final. But I did spend half time looking at record defeats, Liverpool. <laughs> I just thought there were... I, I, it, it, Milan didn't look like they were finished, did they? Mm, and, you no. know, Jersey... Um, it, it will always be remembered for the saving in extra time. But he yeah. had no idea he'd made that. He didn't know no. he'd made that. that His best save of the night was in the first five minutes of the second half. There was, uh, free a, kick. A, it was a free yeah. kick from Shevchenko, really caught it. And he yeah. saw it late and got down and turned it away. I mean, 4 0 is gone. It is Correct. gone. Yeah. Um, but uh, they were just such a weird bunch of goals. I mean, um, <sighs> You know, even to miss the penalty, even to get three-two <laughs> and a penalty, um, you know. And Stevie's header's—it's an odd header. It, it's just a strange yeah. header. And then the goalkeeper's got to save the second one. And there you go. I mean, That's I don't it. know if I Stevie mean, dives or not. Really, Gattuso had it coming. To, he's had it coming to him all his life. So <laughs> we don't I, know. I didn't have any care. big problem with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, none of us did. Yeah. I mean. I think at that point you'd have, you'd have taken anything, especially Liverpool supporters. I mean, I was, oh, I think I was 20, 21 at the time, Mick. How old yeah. was you in Istanbul? 18? Uh, 15. 15. 15. Yeah. So we'd never seen us win a European Cup. We'd have took anything. But the moment that <laughs> once we watched the game back and watched it that many times and hello, hello, here we go. In towards Gerrard! You just, yeah. I've no just idea why I said that. I, I certainly <laughs> didn't believe that we. <laughs> I don't no. know. I well, think it was just that fate thing. I think it yeah. was the same as 
you know, what had happened six years earlier. And then fate has, I, I'm not a believer in fate, you know, I'm not a religious person or anything. I think you get what you get. Um, but it does have an impact on the other team. It, yeah. it does, you know, w when the other team has dominated a game in the way they have, and and this happens to them. I mean, they've got to, they've got to believe. And the, the look on Shevchenko's face as he walked forward to take that penalty, um, I mean, it just, it just, please get me out of here. Anything, yeah. a pandemic, please now, now, you know, something. <laughs> Come and stop the world from turning. Yeah. And the, even the shootout, I mean, Jersey very nearly gets to the ball before Pirlo in his yeah. penalty. <laughs> it's not to say it's a block. He saves yeah. at the feet of Andrea Pirlo. Yeah, I mean, today, today oh. I was oh. it was crazy. But it was. they're great Look. guys. Stephen Stephen and, and Jamie, are, you know, I'm privileged to know them both. And they're great guys and that it goes back to a little bit what we're saying about Trent and mm. you know that that association I mean okay it was a, it was a blue once upon a time but that's okay um, no. nothing, nothing at all wrong with that funny enough um, no. I'll tell you a little secret here I, I sent Jamie a, a copy of the chart for um, Istanbul obviously yeah. and he said can I have an Everton buy them too because <laughs> I was he said I was at that too <laughs> Amazing! There you go, secret oh, out, Jamie. Love it, love it. Well, <laughs> hopefully, we might get Jamie Carrig on the podcast one day. We can mention that to him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, the, when Stevie lifted that trophy, you know the the famous line: "Liverpool have their hands on the European Cup again, and this time it's for keeps." And then yeah. the Rafa Benitez era, then within the Champions League before it all went downhill with with Ix and Gillette. We had some fantastic nights at Anfield, you know, Madrid 4-0, the Arsenal game, the Chelsea games. I mean, was it was after the Istanbul were something you, you really look forward to going to Anfield to, to commentate on games because of what you'd experienced? I, I mean, I, 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 I don't like being pushed for best of this and best of that, but best, best atmosphere, I mean, I, I think it's a toss-up between Anfield and Celtic Park on a European night. I really do, you know, I just yeah. There's nothing quite like, um, you know, quite like a, a big European night at those uh, two states. I mean, there's wilder atmospheres in Athens mm, and course. Istanbul and whatever, yeah. but um, no, it, it, it is. And, and it's that element of ceremony. <clears throat> and we used to have a big problem on ITV because, um, you know, we come on air 15 minutes before. That's the nature of the beast, Coronation Street or whatever it was, you know, massive audience or Emmerdale. So we're eating in, you know, what football? Bloody hell, yeah, okay, go on. Um, and then, so we were only ever on 15. We had to get two breaks away. And there was always a feeling that you'll never walk alone. was kind of like the national anthem. You can't talk over that. Well, I mean, <laughs> and of course, the people who, I mean, I'm, I've sort of kind of knew what it meant because I'd spent so much time on Merseyside. And then people who never spent any time with us saying, well, it's just a song they sing. You can, you can, you know, we can talk over that and do team captions. No, 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 you can't. You can't. No, this is, you know, this is, uh, this is, we're still at the altar here, you know. This, this of course, is, yeah. So, well, like you said, I mean, uh, sorry, the, with the, the Miracles Are Possible line that came out in Istanbul, that yeah. ran through my mind against the Bar when we played Barcelona last season because you're just thinking, the, like you just said, the Anfield atmosphere, how special it is. It's just something about it where things happen, don't they? 
dinner. The, I, t- I tell you what was a great night. The Dortmund, the, the, the yeah. Day and Loughran. I, I commentated that night. I mean, it does. It's not like it only happens. In, obviously, I I arrived on Merseyside uh, in the week of of Saint Etienne, uh, mm. so. Uh, I, did, I, I wasn't actually at the game. I was kind of in our studio, but I obviously remember it. And Gerald Sinstat was the uh, commentator that night. Um, it is. Um, it, it must be very intimidating for a team when they feel it's getting away from. It's. It, I, I often talk to footballers about the things that I'll never experience, particularly co-commentators, and I, I, I tell them your job is to tell me what it's like down there because I'll never go down there. You've got to somehow remember exactly what it's like when you're down there and come back and tell the rest of us. <clears throat> and occasionally you get a phrase that when a game's getting away from you, that somebody, Andy Townsend said, you just feel like you're tr- trying to walk through waves. You know, you can't, mm-hmm. you're, you're telling your body what to do and your body's fit and honed, but it won't do it anymore because it's telling you, no, we've lost this. They're going to win. They're going to score again, you know? And I, I think those that psychological thing when something happens to you and and it and it starts to affect you physically that yeah. it that must happen to teams at, at Liverpool not every time i mean there there have been times during the last during your lifetime when it's been a nightmare for liverpool to play at anfield yeah. because mm. the expectation's still there but the team's not yeah. good enough and they're frightened to death and mm. you know home home advantage can work the other way sometimes yeah. When 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 people lose that fear of coming to Anfield and and mm. actually fancy the chances there, and you you know we've we've all seen seasons where Liverpool have lost five and six games at home. So, but right now, I mean, you know, this is a very good Manchester City team that's around mm. these last two three years. They don't like coming. They really don't like coming. It's it, there's something there, and they played well there on occasions. Yeah. Well, then the game gets away from them. You know, the, the one last season where, you know, they've had a decent <laughs> penalty. I don't think it is a penalty because I, I, I think yeah. too many handballs are given. I, I, you know, I think the old deliberate, and I, I don't think it is a penalty. But mm. to concede 40, 30 seconds later, you know, <laughs> you, then you think, oh, what? Oh, no. <laughs> again. Yeah, so yeah. we've basically just robbed an idea off. Uh, Carragher's podcast where we ask our guests who their best five-star team is that, they, that, that they've seen live. So have you got five I mean, players that, if you, if you can, <laughs> you've seen that many. I, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the question by not answering it. Um, I was really privileged during the, the early time on Merseyside to, to be at training sessions. I, we, Radio City used to go on the pre-season tour, you know, and we used to travel with the team. I was on the team bus for the first couple of years that I was there. Yeah. Stayed in the team hotel. So I saw them play two-touch, five, six, seven, eight aside. And that's what they, that's how they trained a lot of the time. You know, that um, Ronnie Baran would get them ready physically in the, in the hard yards on the beach and all up the sand dunes, all that rubbish. Um, and then once they were fit, they just kept them ticking over because they played twice a week. And so most of their sessions are it's just mesmeric when, when you when you you see that you know the the caliber of those. I'm playing competitively. Every one counts. You know, back to the old days when Shanks's team had to win before training could end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know it, it, that 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 element. And I mean, I, 
I'm, I, I'd rather try to think what is the best ever Liverpool. How many great Liverpool players? I think great's an overused word in, in, mm. in, in life. Yeah. So going through, I think Clem is a great. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not talking about Alisson. It's a bit early in his career to be calling it. He, he might be the best goalkeeper in the world, but great, yeah, maybe not. Yeah. So okay. I think Clem's a great. I think Hansen's a great. Mm. I think Sunis is a great. I, I wish Liverpool loved Sunis more than they do. I know why, and he knows why. He's a mm. mate of mine. He was some player, him, by the yeah, way. Some player. Was. I think Kenny might just be. Uh, I think Rushy is because, um, well, it, it just hugely prolific, incredible, incredible. And then I think you start, to, I think Stevie, I think I always think that Stevie is a great because he wasn't surrounded by those players, you know? Yeah. yeah. Then you start to get into that next league of the Barnes and, and stuff, and, and and that's when it stops. So, but those guys actually, apart from Stevie, all played in, in a team. The, the Joe Fagan's team, mm. you know, just in that interim, they were all playing then. Yeah. And, um, and so in, in many ways, I think almost by process of elimination, that's the best that's Liverpool it. team I've seen. Now, if these guys close. stick around, then certainly Salah, certainly Mane, um, and certainly Alisson. Van Dijk might be a great now. He really might mm. be. Um, yeah, but there is potential there for, you know, certainly five of them to, to be considered great players in, in another five years' time. Let's, let's hope they're all still Liverpool players then. Very much. Best of luck with the commentary charts and uh, thank you so much for your time and we'll speak to you again soon. Cheers, Cheers mate. Cheers, bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.